The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right, so I had a family emergency, and this was going to be something I was going to prepare for this weekend and have Travis on the show, and on Monday, the day before both of our books come out, and it's going to be exciting, and then, well, life interfered, and uh, so Travis was kind enough, because he's going on book tour right after that, to move the interview up. So, I'm a little out of my mind? I don't know. No stress. No yeah. stress. Yeah, We're just, just going to go off road immediately. Yes, exactly. So, uh, congratulations! You. Your book comes out in four days. Thank you. Yours too. Chaos Terminal, four days. Everybody, go get it. I know, I know. But um, you know, I really want to talk about your your narrating career. Don't you have a book coming out that you narrated in a couple of allegedly. days? Allegedly, allegedly, yes, allegedly. It comes out. It really feels weird because it feels like it. How long has it been since you put pencils down on Chaos Terminal? Mm, about a year, I guess. A little bit more. Yes. I think it was September. I turned in the final. Yeah, I was around the same time. I think like October or something. And it feels like a really long time ago. Yeah, yeah. My problem is I just turned in the first draft of book three. And that is the story that is foremost in my head. So... Now I have to talk about Chaos Terminal, which is old news to me. It's just old. I know, I know. This is Chaos Terminal. Did not set this up soon enough to get a review copy of uh, Travis's book, the one he narrates. Um, but uh, I'll be picking it up on my book launch in a couple of days. I can't carry this joke f- too much farther. Bookshops and Bone Dust also coming out from New York Times bestselling author Travis Baldry. And uh, pretty much everybody I know is very, very excited for your book. And so I brought you here so we could fight and see who's going to sell more copies. Okay, we know who's going to sell more copies. So how are you, Travis? Well, we could fight over um, over um, who's going to be the most disappointing, and then I can win that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I... Uh... I don't know whether I'm coming or going most of the time right now. Mm-hmm. I just feel sort of constantly bewildered. Um, and uh, I, yeah, tour starts next week, and I'm I'm just not even looking at it. I'm just I'm, we're not going to talk it's, about it's it. It's a thing that's going to happen. If you guys um, are, are are on his tour schedule, then you can look at his tour schedule. I'm assuming at your website or at tour. It, it's th- theoretically it's the correct one at McMillan now. For a while, all of the dates were wrong, and so were all of the times due to a website bug. 
So every day was wrong and every time was wrong. Like they were at like midnight or nine in the morning. It was all just a random mess. And I started getting, started getting messages wondering if I really was going to appear (laughs) at 9am on that day that was clearly not the correct day. Mm -hmm. Um, But now it's all sorted out. But yeah, if you're there, I'm I'm gonna bring stickers. So stickers. that's the real draw. I have stickers. Oh, crap! I don't have. St- I have a couple of stickers. I do have a couple of stickers. I gotta find the stickers. It's. I have discovered that stickers are the easiest way for me to not feel awkward at a signing or a thing because really? I can what just do you say, do, do you stickers? want a sticker? Okay. Well, I lay them out in front of me. There's like more than one kind of sticker, and wow. so I say, would you like a sticker? And then while they're preoccupied trying to pick a sticker, you run. I don't have to say anything, oh. and they have to think, so I can sign something. Um, cause the thing that happens to me is if I sign things and somebody asks me a question, I will start writing my answer oh, instead of yeah. whatever it was I was going to write. So it gives me this little buffer of time. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody asked, I was trying to reschedule something and they said, um, they can do 12 or one on the 16th. And I wrote back the 12th would be great. And then I apologized. I said, oh, 12th, noon on the 16th. That just turned into the 12th. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so let's let's hear about Bookshops and Bone Dust, another alliterative title from yep. you. Not, and... not throwing away that crutch. <laughs> uh, it's um, Bookshops and Bone Dust is a prequel to Legends and Lattes said about 20 years before when Viv is very is a lot younger and uh, still super interested in adventuring and she's signed on with this mercenary company called Rackham's Ravens and they are pursuing this necromancer and because she's young and headstrong she's immediately wounded and they dump her off in a crappy beachside town while they go on about their business and they'll come and pick her up later after she's recuperated and so she's stuck there and she's bored and she's annoyed and she's thwarted and she immediately runs afoul of the law and uh, ends up befriending this very foul-mouthed owner of a failing bookshop. And um, it's kind of about all the little, all the things that would happen early in our lives that we think are mistakes that aren't, that end up being like the foundation of things that go right much later on that we just wouldn't have been able to do without them. And it's also about books and um, stories and the way that... um, we end up feeling kind of seen through shared experience and stories. Cause that was something that was really powerful for me after releasing my first book was if anybody responded to anything in the book that was important to me or that I had experienced, it was just kind of this really incredible light bulb moment for me that that was, it's just special in a way that no other creative art I've been involved in has been. And so that ended up finding its way into the book too. And there's a bunch of skeletons anyway. Literal or figurative or both. Uh, literal literal skeletons. There might be figurative okay. skeletons, but okay. it's primarily literal skeletons. Cool. I don't have any skeletons, skeletons. in my book. Maybe I should well, start drawing you know, them when I sign the books. Book three? Well, no, book three is... Well, I mean, it's just for draft. Well I can add a skeleton. That's not going to be hard. Just add skeletons. Yeah, just hang it on the wall. I mean... I mean, it fits right in with mystery as yeah. a genre, too. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you are really good at writing mysteries. Oh, um, <laughs> thank you. I I am not really good at, my, at writing mysteries. My book two was going to be a mystery. Oh, was it? The original book two that I was going to write was basically like fantasy murder she wrote. Oh, and cool. I, 
I had, I had like a 10,000 word outline. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I really liked it. And I wrote a bunch of it and I hated it. Oh, wow. Because um, I got really bogged down in the mechanics of mysteries. Like all of these things that have to interlock. You got to be able to find the clue. So-and-so has mm -hmm. to be here. It's like, a, it's like a machine you have to it's assemble. It's hard. It's really hard. It's hard. I... And it squeezed all the characters to the side because I'm just not adept enough at doing that. Yeah. So... I, I lost my hold on my characters and what I cared about. And so then the story soured for me and I had to put it aside and say that, oh, yeah, I can't I can't do that yet, I guess. Um, and it wasn't a total waste. I harvested a lot of organs from the corpse of oh, that good. story and the two subsequent stories that also failed to get written and transplanted them all into the Frankenstein that is the actual second book I wrote. And the so skeletons. I can. Organs and, and skeletons, skeletons. Yeah. yeah. It was thematic, thematically consistent in that way. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm I'm very jealous of your ability to actually write mysteries. <laughs> it's it's challenging. Um, the first time I wrote one, I, first time I sold a mystery, I went, "Oh God, I just sold a mystery." I was thinking like I'm writing a science fiction book with murder, but when I realized it was a mystery, I'm like, I don't know how to write mysteries. I've never written a mystery. What what did I just do? And so then I read a lot of Agatha Christie. And uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I I discovered that I'm, I can't I'm not Agatha Christie. I'm actually way more like one of the writers for Scooby Doo <laughs> and uh, just, you know just pull what? a mask off at the end. <laughs> people loved Scooby Doo and people love your work. So I really can't see you writing a bad Scooby Doo fantasy. Um, I did. So I just finished writing a short because I've been trying to figure out how to write a mystery like what kind of mystery could i write mm -hmm. um and I, I just wrote a short and i think it kind of works but it's basically um i've come to terms with the fact that i actually don't really care that much about the mechanics of the mystery mm -hmm. um like i watched knives out and i loved it oh not oh but, that's like a diff that's like another level up that's like but, reaching level like, 10. I can't tell you any I can tell you almost nothing about the mystery. Like what I really cared about was Daniel Craig with his foghorn leghorn fake accent. <laughs> yes. That. And and you know the vibes. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted, you know. I guess I just like Clue more than <laughs> Clue was also than incredibly complex. I just I just but watched it's, it. It's like complex in a way that you can't like figure out. Like a lot of people want like I can find I can I can be the sleuth and I can solve this in mm -hmm. advance. It's just like it's just so everywhere that it's. I was thinking about the fact that like in a TV or um, a movie mystery, you don't you don't have the same ability to figure it out because you don't have the internal dialogue mm -hmm. of the detective noticing the thing. You can like see that they could in the scene have seen the thing, but you don't have the same perspective. So there's like a distance to that. Um, and I was I was just thinking about that a lot. Um and I was thinking about like Columbo, where you already know how the mystery turns out. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even matter. It's not about solving the mystery. It's just about Columbo shambling around <laughs> and fooling somebody who thinks they're smarter in, than him into thinking that he's an idiot. And then at the end, the real reveal is that to the, is to the, uh, the criminal that Columbo isn't an idiot and has figured out what they've done. And that's like the charm of the show. Mm -hmm. So I just keep looking at mysteries that aren't like traditional mysteries and thinking, maybe I could do that. But, you know, one of the most, um, possibly the most famous of, well, one of the most famous Christie 
mysteries breaks all of almost all the rules that that she herself helped set up and that's and then there were none because mm-hmm. you start out with 10 people and at the end you're the all the 10 people are dead and then no one there's no sleuth no one figures it out someone finds literally a letter in a bottle saying here's how i did it by the way here's my name and still it is one of the most loved murder mysteries just because of how she made it all happen. But mm-hmm. my point is, is that, you know, you can experiment and see if something yeah. works. Um, I think it's Lucy Foley also writes mysteries that are very different in that she does a lot of back and forth of flashbacks. So, and she hides who the victim is as well as the murderer. Mm-hmm. So you you know it opens with some guy finding a body and thinking oh we got to call the police and you know she makes it sound a lot better than what I just did but anyway it takes a long time to reveal who actually is dead and who actually is the murderer and you find out both at the same time and that was pretty clever so you know do you have a favorite kind of mystery like a like a like a breed of mystery that you enjoy the most to say um i i would say a lot of the breaking the the later the more recent uh twisting of the genre that we just talked about with uh mm-hmm. you know knives out and lucy foley stuff um i like them because they surprise me mm-hmm. um because you think you understand how it works. And then, you know, some of the psychological thrillers have just gotten weird because they're out of twists that could happen and then they get to twists that... Okay, lit... it, it technically could happen, but you can't see it actually happening in any person's mind ever, the things they actually do. Yeah, they're just so far out that they're not yeah. they're not plausible in any way. Yeah. Yes, locked, locked room mysteries are good. Um so when you write mysteries, are you like how organic is that process for you? Are you plotting out all of the the, the machinery underneath the construction first, and then you? Oh, I plan like, nothing. Or, I'm terrible. You at plan. Planning. So you're a total discovery mystery writer. Yep. God, I'm jealous. I I have a se- I have a sense of who the murderer is, and wow, that's so cool. I think only only in Station Eternity did the murderers stay the same from beginning to end in chaos terminal and in uh infinite archive i changed in the middle who the because i fig as i wrote the characters i realized who would be more likely to kill them mm-hmm. to, to commit the murder and then since i'd been writing it knowing thinking that one person was the murderer i already had a lot of really good clues and <laughs> red herrings pointing to that person so i kind of did part of my own what your subconscious decided exactly who they were in advance god so i'm so jealous yeah i'm so jealous um i desperately still wish i felt like i could do real discovery writing that like i could get that joy of like oh my god i knew what was going on all along look at how clever i was in retrospect without knowing it i desperately wish i could experience this that is one of the best highs in the discovery writer's career, but 
building the wings on the way down after you jump off the cliff is stressful. And the thing is, after you start making a career, your editors ask for proposals and outlines. Because, <laughs> you know, in theory, it's a good idea because now that you're a pro writer, they, they say you don't have to write the whole book to sell it. So you sell it on proposal and an outline. But if you don't do proposals well or don't write outlines well, then you can... Or discover something better on the way. That is my problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, that that was great, but this is so much cooler. Now I have yeah. to repitch... Do you have to, like, repitch them on that? No. Has that ever been a problem? Yes, it has been a problem. Um, but I... Yeah, I, I wrote a book that, that strayed from the outline and I had to rewrite it, which was, that was fun. Oof. Yeah. That sounds not fun. It was, it was a big ego blow. So, um, but you know, luckily when the book actually came out, people liked it. So I, I didn't, the, the complete and utter fear that I had lost all my skills was, I just had to, it, it was, it was pandemic brain. It was. Yeah just really hard for me to write during that time. And I see like the people who wrote a lot and I'm just like, I hate you so much. <laughs> oh boy. Um, We're talking about me I, too much. We got to talk about you. Okay. Well, I, I, I wrote in the last two weeks for the first time in a year. Oh, that's great. Um, um, since I finished took the a last year, but... book. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was preoccupied with trying to, uh, you know, get my life into some sort of shape. Mm -hmm. um that was sustainable but yeah and, and they're just shorts but the first one i wrote i trashed um and i'm still struggling with the um struggling with the realization that if you don't feel about, good about something there's two different versions of that there's the i don't feel good about this because it's fundamentally flawed or it's not for me right now or i'm making an excuse that i don't feel good about this because i don't want to do it yeah, which there's... are not the same things at all. No, and I, I sometimes it's very hard for me to write, figure out which side of the line I'm on. Yeah, um, there, there's. I mean, you could. Everyone's going to have a bad day, and yeah. pro writers can usually write through the bad days, and you know, never be able to tell when they look back on it which were the bad days and which weren't. But you're right. Sometimes you do keep pushing forward on something that just needs to die, or you yep. know, change considerably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I convinced, I think every time I have written something so far that I've had to trash, it was because I was more in love with the idea than the characters and the characters weren't there to sustain the idea. And if they aren't, then it just goes for me. Where do you start um, when you begin, um, your books? Do you start with a uh, character or plot or, um, incident um, or setting? Um, I think they're pretty character centric and even if it's not, even if the character that's going to drive it hasn't formed, there's something about the um, experience for that character that is like the core of it. So some feeling or vibe. And whenever I don't do that, if I have like some clever plot idea that then I then try and bolt the character onto, that's usually a disaster for me. Oh, so really? I have to have a strong enough attachment to the character that they drive it. Um, uh, because otherwise I just, it feels like I'm trying to force them into something that they don't belong in. So if you want to um, do, if you want to do a murder mystery, would you feel that it's your sleuth that you need to 
hold yeah. on to and or so, would it be your murderer exactly. it's the sleuth okay it's the sleuth so i this was uh, this is the short that i just finished it was my experiment it's my canary in the mine shaft because i think that maybe she will sustain a book because i couldn't let go of the idea that i would like to do a mystery it's just i need to figure out how to do one that works for me right so my sleuth in this is basically chaos she enters the zone of a mystery and you can't tell if she's solving it on purpose or not. She's not stupid, mm -hmm. but she's also nearly, and she's very difficult to understand. So um, she's a goblin and her name is Zill. And she doesn't, she's speaking English as a second language. Ah. So she's normally a goblin. So everything she says is like weird idioms or a little broken, but she's clearly not stupid. And she has this coat that is basically just pockets and she walks around in bare feet and there's She's constantly stealing cutlery. And she, so the little short is basically like a little locked room mystery. She rides through the night with her little wagon and she has a pony named Round Boy. And she gets to this inn and she comes in and there's two dead people on the floor. And these adventurers are like squabbling with each other. They're trying to figure out who did it and who also stole all the loot they got from the adventure that they just completed. And she just sort of obliviously just ignores them and tries to order food, you know, and... <laughs> And then suddenly she'll like interject and like correct somebody on something or make an observation or accidentally, maybe accidentally do something, but you can't really tell. So there's just everybody who comes into contact with her is bewildered by her. You're kind of bewildered by her and you can't tell how legitimate anything is. And so she's just like a storm that goes through a, a mystery and she comes out the other side and it's solved and she just leaves and it's like your deal with the wreckage afterward. So she's like a force of nature sleuth. Um, and uh, I was able to finish one of those because I care more about the weirdos mm -hmm. than I do about the mechanics of the mystery. So theoretically, the mystery has to work. But what I've, what I've ended up having to do is I kept trying to do a really ambitious mystery with all these moving parts and all of these clues. And I just keep paring it down. I'm like, nope, that's enough. Nope, that's enough. Yeah. Until it's smaller in scale. Um, so I don't know. I, I had a good time writing it. And I like her. Um, and the... I like being able to do it in like a fantasy world where everything's weird because the murderer is also the murder weapon, um, which is also fun. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just happy to have finished something. I'm like, okay, I, I can, I can actually still write something. I still completed a story. Great. <laughs> when yeah. it comes time to actually write a novel next year, I should be able to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. So you did get recently get a three book deal with Tor. Congratulations. Thank you, which is also part of my relief for being able to convince myself that I yes. can do that. Yes. The, uh, so do you have plans for those? Um, well, this might be one of them. Um, I have, I, uh, they weren't all going to be in world. I have some other story ideas that I wanted to do that are totally separate. Um, I have kind of like a weird sci-fi story that I want to write and, um, a sort of like Americana portal fantasy, like rust built portal fantasy. But, okay. um, um, and I was going to do at least one more in world with legends and lattes and bookshops and bone dust. Um, and, uh, so we'll see which one of those comes out first. Like I said, this was my canary in the mine shaft to see if I 
if this was going to work for me mm -hmm. and if I could like now worm my way out through the apple for the rest of the story. And I think it might work. So we'll see. Well, excellent. I, I, I know most people listening are probably very excited to hear that. It sounds awesome. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's what? We will see. We will see. We will yes. see. Um, so Tuesday rolls around. Yes, Tuesday is. What are you doing on launch day? Okay. Um, I'm gonna stream a podcast probably. Um, I'm probably gonna record some video. I've got. Do you have any launch day rituals? Do you have like no. champagne or a chocolate or a? No, I might. I, I might like get a bottle of wine for after the book launch party. But it's we're doing a book launch in Chapel Hill, and um, yeah, do a signing and talk. And I, I, I think I'm alone, which pro probably means I need to prepare something. That whole in conversation with is so easy. Because you just yeah, it it's is just another interview. But if they just put you in front of a group of people, it's I guess it's kind of like having a podcast. So I really shouldn't complain that much. But um, so you're but gonna yeah. do a reading? You're gonna do a talk and reading? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Do you like doing public readings? No, I don't like doing them. I don't like listening to them. Um, I think I I just it's like the ADHD in me. It's like I just sitting quietly and listening or sitting quietly and reading aloud is just like I want to be fiddling with something which everyone considers rude and I'm I don't like it but um it's kind of expected I remember I saw Chuck Palahniuk have a book event and he stood up in front of everybody and said you're all here because you've read me before and I'm pretty sure you're all going to buy the book and read it then so I really don't have to read to you so I'll just tell you stories. And then he tells us these weird, weird stories that either happened to him for real or were complete lies. But it didn't matter because they were very entertaining. And I always liked that. So, um, but I will you say. Just, you should just say, you should just read whatever you want. You should just <laughs> spin a tale and then just say at the end. So do you think that's from the book or not? <laughs> <laughs> I'll read from the third book. You yes. know, it could be like the clue. Um, like VHS release, you know, they had different endings. Mm -hmm. oh, and you yeah. just didn't know which one you were going to get. You just read, just read and just make up an, a different ending to the book. Author, two truths and a lie. I like that. You get um, your custom ending. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you'd like to continue listening, the full episode is up at patreon.com slash mightymer or mightymer.substack.com. We have been going for a while. Zoom wants to cut me off in a couple of minutes. So thank you so much for all your time, Travis. Talking to you is always a delight. Um, you as well. And, uh, and congratulations. Thank you. Book release. You too. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing your name on the New York Times bestseller list and hearing all your antics from your tour and seeing you with pictures of the uh, astounding tiara. <laughs> Where could people find you online? Um... I'm Travis Baldry on whatever social media you are probably on. I'd never use a pseudonym or anything else. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm mostly on Twitter, which I refuse to call X. Yes. Um, and uh, I am theoretically on the others, but I've hit in like a critical mass of social media applications where like I can only check a couple. Yeah. I forget yeah. the others even exist. I'm with you. I always feel guilty when I get an email alert that somebody has followed me on something I haven't logged into in a year. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, his book is Bookshops and Bone Dust. My book is Chaos Terminal, and it will they will both be out on the 7th. Please give money to your friendly local bookstore. Um, and if not, you know, sometimes bookstores don't carry stuff, and sometimes all you need, all you can do is order online, and that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. We're just glad you're reading us. Yes, thank you. And and if it, if you don't see them, just check behind the ziggurat of the sequel to The Fourth Wing. That's right. Because. Yes, that one's exciting, too. But, um, yeah, you can find out more about me at uh, merverse.com, and I usually stream on Twitch uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, for sure, in the afternoon, Eastern Time. I'm trying to get better with my schedule. We're working on that. But, uh, anyway, I think we're done. Thank you, Travis. Thank you so much. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to I Should Be Writing, the longest-running writing podcast in existence. This episode was made possible by The Fabulous, who support the podcast via Patreon or Substack. Join The Fabulous at patreon.com slash mightymer or mightymer.substack.com. Theme music provided by John Anilio, art provided by Numbers Ninja, and podcast hosting provided by Libsyn. This episode is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 License, you can find all of my books and podcasts at merverse.com. 